the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, I could be very diplomatic this morning and say that that's easy. An older woman is someone who's married to an older man. But I don't really think that that would, uh, would, would hit it, okay? It is true that Paul does not specify age in Titus chapter 2. However, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, he does refer to widows who were to be put on a list that the early church had, a, a list of being financially supported by the church. They're called widows in, indeed. And apparently these women also served in the ministry of the church. So they weren't just given uh, financial support, but they were actually servants of the church. And he says in 1 Timothy 5.9 that the minimum age for these older widows, in contrast to younger widows, and he talks about younger widows and older widows there, the minimum age was 60 years old. Age is a sensitive subject in our culture. People don't like to be thought of as old, and given American attitudes, I can understand why. Those attitudes are wrong. They are unbiblical and unwise. In many other countries, older people are treated with respect due to their many years of experience. But by and large, America sees older people as worthless, or worse yet, a burden. TV news anchor Hugh Downs, at the age of 85, said he hoped to live long enough that if someone says he is an old man, he'll know it's a compliment. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries puts his clear practical messages into radio format for these daily Bible classes of the air. We are studying in Titus chapter 2, and for the past few days we have been considering the godly characteristics of older men. If you're able to follow along in your own Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Let's see how the older women of the church ought to behave. Titus chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 1 through 3. He writes in verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love uh, their children, verse 5 says, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. This morning, our study is about how the older women of the church are to behave. In other words, uh, verse 3 in the beginning of verse 4 is really about the godly characteristics of older Christian women. Last week, we looked at the older men in the church, as Paul speaks about them in verse 2. This week, verse 3, the older women in the church, but immediately we're faced with a problem. And I think you know what that problem is. What woman is going to admit she's an older woman? 
And I might add the King James Version doesn't make it any easier because that translates uh, aged women. That's even worse. You know, in our culture, it's not even appropriate to ask a woman her age, let alone call her an aged woman. So we have a, we have a little bit of a, of a problem. And women can be touchy about this. We all know that. In fact, there's an ancient Greek saying that goes like this. There are seven ages of women. One is infancy. Two, little girl. Three, miss. Four, young woman. Five, young woman. Six, young woman. And seven, young woman. So... Uh, nobody really wants to say, yes, I'm an aged woman. And, uh, and so we have a little bit of a problem. And it's really not, not that easy to identify who exactly was Paul speaking about. At what age does a woman become an older woman? Now, I could be very diplomatic this morning and say that that's easy. An older woman is someone who's married to an older man. But I don't really think that that would, uh, would, would hit it. Okay? Um, It is true that Paul does not specify age in Titus chapter 2. However, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, he does refer to widows who were to be put on a list that the early church had, a a list of being financially supported by the church. They're called widows indeed. And apparently these women also served in the ministry of the church. So they weren't just given uh, financial support, but they were actually servants of the church, and he says in First Timothy five nine that the minimum age for these older widows, in contrast to younger widows, and he talks about younger widows and older widows there, the minimum age was sixty years old. You see, and why would he say that? Because in the Apostle Paul's day, in the culture that he lived, when a woman reached age sixty, she was generally classified as an older woman. Why? Because at that age. Uh, generally speaking, at that age, she was no longer actively involved in raising her own children. You could safely say that at, at age 60, she was no longer actively involved in raising her own children, and that now she was free to concentrate on other things. Now, what other things was she free to concentrate on? Well, the ancient uh, Greeks felt that she was now free at age 60 to retire from activity to concentrate on a life of philosophical contemplation. That was their view that now you didn't have to uh, do other things, you can concentrate on philosophy. However, the Apostle Paul, on the other hand, felt that at age 60, and this is what he's writing about in Titus chapter 2, at age 60, that a Christian woman was free to turn her attention to the younger women of the church and to minister to them. In other words, she was to be now free in order to be a role model to the younger women of the church, and to help them in carrying out their biblical responsibilities as wives and mothers. She wasn't free to to sit in a corner and think about philosophy. She was free now, having raised her own children and being older and experienced and wiser, she was now free to minister to the younger women and mothers in the church. In other words, the thought is this. Older women are those who, after spending years raising their own families, are free to help the younger women in the church raised theirs. And so it's, it's relative. It, it doesn't mean exactly it's 60, but it means someone who basically is through concentrating on their own family, now she can help others who are still ministering to their families. And even though there are some older women who, uh, who never uh, have gotten married and probably never will get married, they still have a responsibility to help the younger women in the church in their domestic responsibilities. And that's, that's who older women are. 
Older women are those who can help younger women underneath them. Because that's what Titus chapter 2 deals about. That's what it's, what it's uh, concerning when Paul writes about the older women. Because in verse 3, Paul lays out the uh, godly qualities. Godly qualities, there are four of them, in verse 3 and 4, that she needs to be a role model to the younger women. However, it's not just being a role model. Unlike the men, and we looked at the older men last week, unlike them, the, the older women not only are to be role models, but they actually have specific things to teach. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 4 and 5. But we want to concentrate on the older women as role models in the local church to the younger women. So this morning, that's what we're going to look at. And so uh, we're going to look at four godly characteristics of older women. And you can follow along in your uh, your outline that has been provided for you. If older women are to be role models, they must be, first of all, reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Paul says, the beginning of verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Now, the first thing Paul tells Titus to do in terms of, of ministering to the older women is teach them that they are to be reverent in their behavior. What does that mean? What does it mean to be reverent in behavior? Well, the Greek word that's translated reverent basically means suitable to holiness, appropriate to holiness. And it was used in ancient Greek literature to refer to a priestess in the temple. I was talking about a pagan priestess, but, but, um, but the apostle uses that term to say that older women are to have a sacred service towards God. They, they are like priestesses serving God in the temple. Their lives are to be service to him. They are free from other responsibilities now to serve him continually. And so Paul means that the mature women of the church should live holy lives. That's basically his thought there, holy lives, lives that reflect an attitude of sacred service towards God, which means this, ladies, that your life as a Christian woman is to be a continual service to God. Now, the question is, well, what do I do? What, what continual service? I, I just do my thing. I shop. I take care of things. I, what, 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 am, what am I supposed to do? In what way can you serve him continually? What Paul means is this. You are continually to be an example of holiness to your younger sisters in the church. And this is all relative. It's all relative. There's, there's always somebody that you're older than. Even if you're in uh, college age, you're older than someone who's in high school. I mean, it just goes down the, down the line. So how can you be an example to uh, younger women in our church? Let me give you some specific, tangible ways you can be an example. I'd encourage you to write this down in your outline. Number one, you can model godliness in the way that you appear, your appearance, your dress. And let's, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 concerning this, because Paul specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 2 speaks about women in worship. Having just finished in chapter 2, verse 8, speaking about the men ought to be leaders in the church, he now speaks uh, about the women. So from verses 9 through 15, he speaks about when, when women come to church, uh, when they worship, what should they look like, how should they behave, and, and so forth. So it gives us great insight uh, on how women can model godliness to other women. And in chapter 2, verse 9, he speaks about your outward appearance, your dress. He says in verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. What is he talking about? Her outward appearance is to reflect an inward 
character of modesty and discretion. Modesty and discretion. That is to say that your appearance is to show respect for God rather than trying to draw attention to yourself. That's, that's the basic thought. That's inappropriate in a worship service. Our thoughts, our attention is to be given to God. It's not a fashion show. It's not a fashion show. You see, in Paul's day, as in ours, as in ours, women often dressed in such a way that would send out inappropriate messages. It could send out a message of sexual looseness, a message of a lack of submission to a husband, a message of uh, excessive wealth and trying to impress others. Um, it could send out a, a message of uh, seductive intentions. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you don't want to do that. That's wrong. You're not in church to do that. In fact, that would never be appropriate anyway, but especially in a worship service. Now, we want to be careful that we don't misunderstand Paul. Paul isn't telling women to look drab, to look dull, to never wear jewelry, to never have a nice hairstyle. To, that's not his point at all. You must understand in Paul's day, uh, women invested a lot of money into stuff. And Paul is not saying don't look nice, don't have any jewelry, just like Peter in 1 Peter 3. It's not saying that either. But what Paul is telling the Christian women is to dress in such a way that you send out in your culture the right messages. The, uh, and what message would that be? A message of purity, a message of modesty, a message of tastefulness. And that does vary from culture to culture, but, but this is the biblical principle. There's an old saying that clothes make the man. Really, they don't make him, but they might tell us quite a bit about him. That's even more true for women. Clothing, hair, and makeup make a statement that people catch before the first word comes out of your mouth. That's something that many a father has tried and failed to explain to his teenage daughter. Pastor Steve will be right back after we greet those of you who just tuned in. I'm Peter Silseth. We're glad to have you with us for Verse by Verse. It's a radio Bible class led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Many women, both young and old, dress like fashion models. But you don't need to dress like a model to be a model. In fact, you're a model every time you're with another person. The main thing we are all to model is godly behavior. As Pastor Steve said, there is nothing wrong with looking good. But it's important to look good in a way that sends the right signals. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us why. Now, those of you who are older, as I said before, everybody is older than somebody, unless you were born yesterday or today. Uh, grandmothers are older than mothers. Young marrieds are older than the college age. College age older than high school. High school is older than junior high. And yes, there are some younger than junior high. And you're to be a model. You're to be a model of how you dress. Be reverent in your behavior by the way you dress, because how you dress is not just affecting you. And, and that's what we want to really convey. It doesn't just affect you. Oh, do I look nice? How will I come across? It affects other people because there are other people who are watching you. Those younger than you are looking to you as examples. And that is Paul's point. At least in, in Titus, that's his point. You are to model to them, not the, not the latest fashions to impress people, but you are to model modesty and discretion to reflect that you are a woman of God. Your appearance does matter. It does send out messages, and it ought to be sending out the right messages. So that's number one. You're looking for how can I be an example 
to the younger women in the fellowship, dress in such a way that they could look at you and say, by her appearance, it's tasteful, it's modest, and I want to be like that. She is, she is an example to me. Secondly, you can model godliness not only by, by appearance, but by your good works. Notice verse, uh, in tight, in, uh, first Timothy rather, first Timothy chapter two, Paul, after speaking in verse nine about appearance, he goes on to say, but rather, here's, here's how you ought to, uh, be, what you ought to be concerned about, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. He's saying, don't adorn yourself just in outward clothing uh, that that uh, would maybe send the wrong messages, but make sure you adorn yourselves with good works that's fitting for women of God. Now, what sort of good works is Paul referring to? Well, he doesn't specify here specifically what kind of good works he's referring to. However, in verse uh, 15, he does mention the end of verse 15, he speaks about if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So you are to model good works that demonstrate love for others, faith in God, anything that would be of a nature to bring glory to God. However, we are given insight as to good works because in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, as he's talking about the widows in the church, and I mentioned before there were certain widows who were to be put on a list to receive financial support. They had nobody else to support them. The church took on their support, but they were also to serve the church. It was like they were on staff. And I don't know exactly how this this worked, but they weren't just given money. They were women who were uh, uh, specific servants of the church, and I think this goes beyond being a deaconess. These were women who were considered staff, and... Uh, they had to uh, dem- have demonstrated a life of good works in order to be put on this list. They didn't just take anybody. They had to prove that they were really women of God. And so we're given in First Timothy chapter 5 some of the works that they did. And so this would give us insight as to what kind of works Paul was talking about as far as godly good works. Notice verse 3 in First Timothy 5. He says, honor widows who are widows indeed. So he's speaking about widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regards to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. What he means is the church isn't going to take on your support if you've got children or grandchildren who can do this. Now, he, uh, she who is a widow indeed, verse 5, who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. What good works does she have? Number one, she fixes her hope on God. She trusts in God. She uh, she has been a woman all through these years, and especially as a widow, that she is looking to God to meet her needs. She is a trustful individual. But secondly, he says, she continues in prayers night and day. She's a prayer warrior. She's one who has a consistent quiet time. She is a prayer warrior. Then notice verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. There's where we get that that age bracket. Having been the wife of one man. What does that mean? It means that, that as you look at her life, she's been devoted to her husband. I don't think it has anything to do with has she been married before I think or, or married a few times. I think the issue is that you look at her wife... Has, look at her life. Has she been one who has proven to be faithful to her husband? Has she been that kind of woman who has been a good wife? Has she loved her husband? Has she treated him with respect? Or did she speak kindly of him? That type of thing. Then he says, 
Verse 10, having put, having a reputation for good works. What kind of good works? And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Paul mentions a few good works. Hospitality. Hospitality, ladies, is a good work. Do you open your home to those who are strangers? Do you open your homes to others? Sometimes there might be a tendency for widows to think, you know, I'm in, I'm in need, you open your home to me. Paul is saying, look, have, have they proven over the years that they have opened their homes to others? How about ministering to saints in distress? Are you alert to the needs of others? Do you bring meals over? Do you call them on the phone? Do you, do you show some consideration to those who are hurting? Washing the saints' feet, that just means doing any kind of humble service. I mean, we don't do that today. I wish we did, but we don't do that today. I wish we did because I love having my feet massaged. That's why I threw that in. Those of you who know me on that. But that's neither here nor there. I just need to clarify that because as soon as I said, I wish we did today, you're going to think I'm going off on something theologically. No, I just like that. But uh, the point is, is there humble service? Is there humble service that this woman has done? Has she ministered in, in a way that would meet a need? That's, that's just what Paul is saying about good work. So ladies, you need to model that. Models in appearance, models in good works. And number three, he says in, as we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and this is very important. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, most of the time we study this, we, we tend to camp on the negative. And the negative is a woman is not to teach uh, men in the church. And uh, that ha- that is absolutely uh, truth. That is right. There should not be uh, women teaching men. But sometimes we forget that there's another part to this. Sometimes we just concentrate on the negative of it. What's the positive? The positive is that he says in verse uh uh, 11, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. That's what she's supposed to be doing. And the thing I want you to see is not so much that a woman shouldn't teach men, but that she does receive, should receive instruction with submissiveness. Submissiveness. Ladies, you are to model reverent behavior by a teachable spirit. That you have an attitude that is an example to others that you want to study the Bible. You're interested in Bible study. You take God's word seriously. You apply the word to your life. That's that's what Paul is talking about. You are to model that to our younger women who maybe don't have the same interest in Bible study. Where are they going to get that from? Well, God works in their hearts, but you're to be an example to them of that. Years ago, some co-workers and I were talking about cornbread. One fellow finally proclaimed, quite proudly I might add, that you can't tell a West Virginian anything about cornbread. Well, I confess that several quick and unkind responses were fighting for access to my tongue, but I choked them back and held my peace. The fact is, though, that there are lots of people whom you can't teach anything. Intelligence isn't the issue, it's pride. A humble, teachable spirit is one of the marks of spiritual maturity, and that should be one of the characteristics of godly older women. We will resume our study of those qualities in the next Verse by Verse. I want to thank you for joining us today. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in some lessons from the second chapter of Titus. For more than 26 years, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Now his messages come to you in these daily radio Bible classes through Verse by Verse Ministries. 
We are thankful for the listeners who prayerfully support this ministry while still remaining faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have not only today's lesson, but previous ones. Feel free to listen online or download them for your MP3 player or computer. In fact, we offer a free podcasting service if you're interested in that. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the start of a three-part message about the godly characteristics of older women. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or a cassette. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. There is a very funny song called The Attack of the Monster Tongue. With a good dose of humor, the song deals seriously with the sin of gossip. Yes, it is a sin, not a bad habit. At one point in the song, one of the gossipers says, I'm not supposed to repeat this, so I'm only going to say it once. When it comes to sin, we tend to twist meanings and rationalize motives in order to justify our disobedience. The godly older woman overcomes the temptation to do that, and she sets a wonderful example for the next generation. In our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will share more from Titus chapter 2 about the characteristics of godly women. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.